Amen. Well, today is the last in our series, Relationship Goals. Throughout this series, one of the hopes that we've had is the month of February that we might together think about those close relationships in our lives, whether it's spousal or friends, and that we might press deeper into them and that we might find ourselves at the end of this month enriched in those relationships and as we go out from those relationships to serve the world. And, and we've covered some ground. We talked about how you got to know yourself. We talked about how um, we have to have this sense of uh, mutual respect and love for one another. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. And so I invite you to get caught up if you hadn't been able to follow us throughout this entire series. But today, I want to take a little bit different of a turn. And I had planned to do this from the beginning when we set this sermon series out months in advance. But it makes even more important, uh, I think, more sense for us as a community with all that's going on in the world. And and I say that because what we're going to talk about today is the ways in which relationships, healthy relationships, ought to be mutually beneficial to one another, right? That it's not a lopsided situation where one is giving more than the other. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like. And and we'll talk why I think it's important for us in this current time and uh, this current place in history. So Jesus here unfolds for us what is often known to in the theology worlds as the missio dei, which is a fancy word for saying mission of God. That he says right here in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke what his entire ministry is all about. And he even has the audacity to do it in his hometown that watched him grow up as a cakey, you know, little Jesus running around, you know, playing soccer, doing those things. And then all of a sudden he shows up and tells him the entire mission and purpose of all of his ministry that he was unfolding. And it's really important because I believe that when God discloses God's business here on earth and Jesus, we ought to kind of lean in and pay attention to what Jesus said he was going to do here on earth. Because people tell you what Jesus wants to do all the time, right? Jesus came to do this, came to do that. He's your best friend. He's always, but Jesus' central driving force begins here as he opens from the prophet Isaiah And he declares in his hometown what his mission is from God. And his mission is this, simply, to bring good news to the poor, the release of captives, to set the oppressed free. And this is, friends, good news for the people of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. It's good news because the people of Nazareth were a people in occupied territory. At this time, Israel was occupied by Rome. It had been occupied before by the Greeks. It had been in occupied territory for quite some time now. And the people were not living large in this peasant village known as Nazareth. And they were definitely not the elites, probably considered poor. And so as Jesus stands up and proclaims, I'm here to bring good news to the poor and the release of the captives, and to set the oppressed free. The people were amazed and ecstatic and excited with what he was going to do, with what he was going to do, because the people of Israel had been waiting for their Messiah. They had been waiting for the one that was going to set everyone free. And then Jesus goes about his ministry and does all the things that 
people thought he shouldn't be doing as the Messiah, which is exactly what he begins his ministry as. He goes and he eats with the sinners. He goes and he pays attention to those that ought not be paid attention to. He tells stories about Samaritans, Samaritans being better than Jewish priests. You know the story of the good Samaritan? The priests passed by the person that was left on the side of the road for dead, and it was the Samaritan where nothing good can come from that helped. I mean, he told stories of the wrong type of people doing the right thing and the right type of people doing the wrong thing, and then we're about to journey on this thing called Lent. And at the end of it, spoiler alert, Jesus doesn't do what is expected the Messiah would do. Instead, he finds himself upon the cross, and their hopes and everything comes shattering down. And even still, to this day, and this is one of the reasons it's important, we live in a world where oppression is still real. And just this past week, we've all been reminded of aggressive force that can be taken. And many of us have been praying for the people of Ukraine, but they're not alone in feeling oppression. They're not alone as the captives and the widows left in the world. And so Jesus was set here. The mission of God was to do these things. And so one of the questions that was left in the people of Israel, why then have they not been done in full? Why have they not been done in full? And, and I'm setting the stage just a, a little bit on the gloomy side because I think it's important for us, and, and there are times and seasons when Sunday mornings don't have to be cheer up fluffy all the time. But I say this because I also think within the context of relationships, one of the things that we often have to talk about is the power balance in any relationship. And this is global relationships between nations. This is interpersonal relationships between friends, loved ones, and also relationships with those in our community. God sigh. What I think that God meant when, God said, when Jesus came up and he signed, you know, said, this is my mission, is I don't necessarily think that God meant that he was going to change, that Jesus was going to change everything in Jesus' lifetime. And I don't think that because it didn't happen. And if God meant to do that, God would have done it, right? <laughs> it didn't happen. But God sets about the mission of doing it nonetheless. But the way in which Jesus does all the things that he says doesn't come with the sword, doesn't come by becoming an aggressor, but it comes through, as the Apostle Paul says, humility giving up the glory of the king to serve, to become a servant. Because Jesus had all the power dynamics he could have had, right? He could have been the ruler up on the throne. He could have overthrown the Roman Empire. But instead, he comes as a peasant, comes as a poor working class to inspire the poor and the oppressed, to know that God's love is for them and God's love is not distant from anyone, and then sets God's people 
upon the path of peace, of speaking truth, on the path of humility. And this gets played out in our everyday relationships because last week we talked about steadfast commitment. That, you ne- that Ruth never leaves Naomi's side. And that, you know, uh, they journey into the depths together and they take on risks and they take on challenges. And yet, there's a reality within some relationships of an imbalance of power. And women, all too unfortunately, know this truth in society. With staggering statistics of domestic Abuse within households, globally uh, ranging upwards of the 70% in some areas. Power dynamics within relationships should never be one on top and one on bottom. And so I say this because we have been talking about healthy relationships, and I know that Christian commitment to covenant of marriage, to service and being a servant, to even submitting under persecution, all become kind of backdrops for some toxic relationships to continue to go on, where abused stay in abusive relationships out of faithfulness to God. And let me tell you my belief, plain and simple. The covenant of marriage and of meaningful friendship follows the same path of Jesus. Mutual love and respect and commitment. One of the things I tell every couple that is going to be married uh, in my service is I say, I have lots of flexibility. You want to sing Hawaiian song? Awesome. You want to do this? Awesome. You want, to do that? you want to have a guest preacher? Great. Who is he? And what's he going to say? Because I will not let someone stand here reading a scripture or proclaiming what they read from scripture, which is to say that women must submit to their husbands. I, I flat out tell people, I will not let that happen in the sanctuary because I do not believe that's the relationship that God calls us to. I had a professor that said once we ought to read through the Scripture because the Scripture is written in time periods long before us, and it's not that we're better now than we were yesterday. It's just that we have differences and we have different obstacles that we cannot see beyond. So when the Apostle Paul tells the women that they must wear head coverings and not have jewelry on if they're going to be in the sanctuary and must not speak, I do not believe those are things that ought to be you know, enforced in 21st century, and I do not believe that marriage relationships ought to be one serving the other. We're called to mutual service. We're called to mutual love and respect. And let's say you find yourself who knows someone in this sort of relationship, and you struggle with the words to say as, as they say to you, Jesus says it's, it's, you should stay in your marriage. You know, like when, they, when the people come, they say, what happens when one person's die? Are they still married in heaven? And, you know, Jesus has commitment to that marriage covenant is what he talks about. Or when they quote whatever scripture they have for you about this, you can remind them of what Jesus did first 
in his ministry, right? Missio Dei, the mission of God, was what? To set the prisoners and the oppressed free. That God's desire and God's heart for the world is not that anyone lives in an oppressive relationship. And not that anyone lives in a world where there are those that are oppressed. And even more so, one of the things that we ought to continue to remember always is that God doesn't just side with the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized. God became the poor, the oppressed, and the marginalized in Jesus. Remember, he didn't come as the king. He came as the margin. So the mission of God was to go to the margins as the margins. Gustavo Gutierrez, a theologian from South America, known for what is called liberation theology, speaks of a God who speaks to us and calls to us from the places where poverty and violence and despair calls to us from the margins and begs us to hear, begs us to hear God calling us to be part of what? To be part of what? The mission of God. So God is calling us to be part of the mission. I'm so thankful that we have Anna Taft. Anna, can you raise your hand if you're in the sanctuary? She's here right now. And so she got added into the sermon because she is uh, the leader of the Tandana Foundation, who the Tandana Foundation is the the group that we've partnered with on, on numerous occasions. We just did the giving wreath for Advent where we partnered with them to provide community gardens to communities, uh, because not because they swop, swept in and said, this is what you need. They went, and they go to the places. One of the founding principles is to go and to listen to the communities, to engage in dialogue with the community, to hear what the community needs and wants. And then out of that active listening, they leverage resources to do just what we're talking about, to call from the places and to invite us to be part of that mission. And so that's why we take that call, because it's heard from a a place where we can go and help build a well. We can go and we can help build community gardens. That is the mission of God at work. And so we have been celebrating Black History Month, and we sang the song in Hawaiian today uh, to celebrate that it's not just Black History Month, but it's also uh, recognition of our Hawaiian brothers and sisters. And the reason that is important is in the same way to hear from the margin and the recognition that throughout the span of human history, or of United, history of the United States, if you look at the spectrum, there is a significant spectrum of our history where people, black brothers and sisters, have been either slaves or living under Jim Crow laws or unable to attend the same schools. And so we listen and we hear from voices on the margin. 
so too we listen to our native Hawaiians. This doesn't mean we always agree, but we listen. A, a group within our district of the United Methodist Church, we have a region, one of the things we do together, and one of the things that we did, my first year here on island five years ago, I went to the Episcopal Church downtown and Bishop Hagia at an ecumenical conference presented a document that was crafted by our Acts of Reconciliation Task Force here on island. And the recognition in listening to the pain among Native Hawaiians as to missionaries and what they have done on island in our history recognized our role as Methodists and recognized and apologized publicly to those that were gathered there and they wrote a letter, and it was ratified at our annual conference, and it was communicated that we're sorry that this happened. Thankfully, we don't have as bad of a history as other churches on island. But nonetheless, we listened to the pain, and we named it, and we apologized for it. Speak the truth in love, bringing us to mutual levels of listening. Because here's one of the things that I'm well aware of, and I know all of us are well aware of this week. Truth is not singular, is it? Because you're hearing very radically different truths of why Russia, for example, has invaded Ukraine. And so who we listen to is important. And who you are in the situation is important. Knowing your own power that you bring to a relationship allows you to know how to engage with others. How to listen, and then how to be part of what's most important, the mission of God in the world. To set the oppressed free, to bring sight to the blind, to be peacekeepers, servants, to offer humility. And those are all characteristics we need deeply in our personal relationships and they're characteristics that are needed deeply within our broader society. Active listening skills, making sure raising my voice and being, you know, the one who has the power is not necessarily the best way to gain mutual love and respect. And friends, don't get me wrong, I, I am not a like world, I've, I know how to fix the problems of the world. But I do believe in the one who calls us to. And I believe in Jesus who calls us to follow in his footsteps. And, and, and I believe that one of the ways in which we do it is that we create tables and that's why I love the imagery of our communion table and because the imagery of the communion table is that everyone has a seat and everyone has a voice. And I use this analogy over and over again, but, you know, some of us get it and it really hit home for me, which is that, that time when you went from sitting at the kids' table at Thanksgiving <laughs> to sitting at the adult table and they start asking you questions about, like, how was college or, you know, who are you dating or whatever it is, right? You know, adult questions. And then all of a sudden you went from, you know, the side table to doing your own thing to being 
really invited to the adult party. That's what we're talking about, is providing the opportunity for people to sit at the table with us and to speak their truth, to listen to their voice, and for people that have been on the margins to elevate it just a little bit so that we might hear it and hear from their perspective and listen carefully. So let us be a people that don't allow the power dynamics in our relationships to live and to acknowledge that we are a people that gather around the table, not a people that fracture the table, that breaks apart. So I pray that this series on relationships won't just impact our personal relationships, but that they truly will start to impact the world as we live our healthy lives and healthy relationships and then go out into the mission of God out of those relationships. And let us begin to do that by listening by lifting up the voices, by letting love and humility and service prevail. I invite you to pray with me. Loving God, we as a, a people acknowledge the mission that your son set upon, that you sent him upon, to be with and alongside the broken, the marginalized, the oppressed, the widows, the captives, the lepers, the blind, and not just heal, which you did, but listened amidst the rushing crowd on the way to heal an important sick person in the community. You stopped and listened to the woman, the woman that was named unclean by society. You sat and talked to the woman at the well. You told those in power that perhaps the most despised of all, the Samaritans, could offer something good in this world. So let us go, therefore, in your mission, and let us begin in our relationships, that we might be one in heart and mind, give and take, live into the love that you call us all to. Amen.